0: We're in our David series and just, just read last week about David. He's in the process. He's been running and hiding in the wilderness because the king, Saul, is trying to kill him. And this week what we're going to do is we're going to read about David catching up with Saul. Now, as we transition into this message today, there are people in our lives who do stupid things similar to Saul all the time. And we've read about and we've established that this is a king who is dangerous to the people around him, dangerous to himself, and someone who immediately or, or initially established a relationship with God, but now he's just doing things on his own terms. Imagine if you're David, this man Saul has been trying to kill you for years, and if you're anything like me and there's someone who has it out for you that much, what does your heart typically do in response to that person? You want revenge or you want to see th- any, anyone who stands against them, you want to see them receive their just reward, some kind of penalty for hurting you. Naturally, it's very natural that we long for payback against our enemies and David is going to have his opportunities, we're going to read in Scripture this morning, so let's See what he does. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to start with verses 2 through 8. Then we're going to skip to verses 16 through 22. Let's read. Verse 2. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Guys, he had to pee. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you. Listen to this. The Lord is telling you. You guys hear that? The Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord, to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord Himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the King! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Skip on to verse 16. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry, And he said to David, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king. Listen, the king of Israel is saying that to David. Uh, And I now realize you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And God, we've had a lot going on today. Um, But God, let's let's focus on your word for just, just these next few minutes. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. David finds himself in a place that maybe you've been in before or maybe you will be in in the future. Each and every one of us has an enemy. Who here has enemies? Okay, we naturally say, yeah, yeah, of course. And we as believers, now that we are on a new path, there is a different way. And so, really, what you have to start asking yourself is, how am I going to respond in a time like this to my enemy when it's it's?" easy to want to exact revenge on that person, give them some sort of payback, or at least let them have it, you know, like have it out with them. So today I want to discuss three important decisions when facing an enemy. And the first of which is we noticed that David had advisors. And I'm advising you this morning, be careful who you're listening to. Because if David's men would have had it their way, Saul would have been dead, And David would have been king right away. Now, something that I know is we need advisors in our life. Amen? We, our our own hearts deceive us all the time. And something I know, my emotions in those moments don't care about me. Are you guys hearing me out? Your emotions don't really care about you. Because how I might read a situation, as we talked about last week, the perception I might have where I need to trust how others are Wise, maybe in viewing the same situation where I might be engulfed by the things around me, by that wilderness as we talked about last week. See, because this is what emotions do. Emotions cause us to react only as a cry for momentary satisfaction. And often those reactions, they're... they're, they're, they're just so in the moment, they're not weighing the outcome of the ramifications for the immediate satisfaction that we tend to desire. Listen to Proverbs 12:15. It said, "Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. We need advisors. Our emotions do betray us. And I could give you multiple scriptures, especially in Proverbs alone, that talk about listening to counsel. But counsel, counsel in your life doesn't do you any good if it's not good. Okay? That's so important. Because here's what we can do. We can choose to surround ourselves with people that are going to tell us exactly what our emotions want to hear. And then the, those people that don't tell us exactly what we want to hear, okay, y- yeah, you can get out of here. I like what they're saying because that makes me feel good. But that's not what we need when we're talking about counsel here. And so, the first question we got to ask ourselves is, if, if we're going to have people advise us, if we're going to have people surrounding us in our life, does your advisor care about you honoring God. That's one of the most key things that we could ask for, because David's men, rightfully so, they had David's best interest. Okay, it's in his best interest that all their elite forces and the king of Israel is not trying to hunt this guy down and kill him. So it would be better for us to kill the guy right at the top, and then David can just go on about being king. Or maybe they formed their own tribe, or who knows what they were thinking at that moment. But in David's best interest, it would have been to have Saul completely removed from the face of the earth. That was in what seemed like his best interest. How is that not a good plan when someone's trying to kill you? Kill them first, right? I mean, it makes sense to me. So, so here David, he has his chance to kill Saul. And his men, they're going about encouraging it. The opportunity is right in front of him. It's undeniable. Now remember for just a second, this is a man that was tormented by an evil spirit. He would bring David in to play a harp for him to calm him down and and as he was being tormented he'd throw spears at the guy trying to kill him. Right? This guy clearly has it out for David and David would be justified in wanting to see him dead. He'd be justified in it. And now he's being encouraged to give in to what is a natural human emotion, revenge. Now we know if we look in Scripture, uh, we we know David was a man after God's own heart. And it is that pull that causes him not to give in to what his advisors are saying, but we get advice because we know that it can lead us down a better path. And church, I am telling you, it is important to choose the right counsel. And so real quickly, uh, oh, I'm not there yet, never mind. Because having advisors is godly. And if you try and do it on your own, you're going to fail. Are you guys hearing me? This is why we need each other. This is why the church needs each other. Back in the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law was witnessing Moses having all the the Hebrew people with him under his care out in the wilderness. And he saw an exhausted son-in-law. He saw a guy that was trying to solve every problem around him. And uh, as as he was trying to judge what was the best thing to do, listen to how he advised Moses. Exodus 18, 17 through 19. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. Yeah, it's not good, You know, wearing yourself out this way. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me and give. And, and let me give you a word of advice. So here, Moses take, takes advice, and then what his father-in-law ultimately says is, I want you to set up people that there is a structure. When people need their problems resolved, they go through this system in order that you only handle the big things. So Moses received advice from his father-in-law. And bear in mind, this is, Moses is a guy who has seen the work of the Lord like no one else at this point. He could have easily said, who are you to give me advice? I've been through all this, but he heeds the counsel of his father-in-law. So I want to talk to you today about seven traits for choosing the right counsel. Seven traits for choosing the right counsel. We're going to rifle through these because of time. The first one. A wise counselor fears the Lord. They fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's easy to tell people, church, what they want to hear. It can be so easy because you can win that person's favor, but if it stands contrary to God, the eternal ramifications are not worth it. We can't do it. Number two, a wise counselor has a good name. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is more desirable than great riches. Great advice from people of good reputation is more important than getting good advice from a friend. Because there's wisdom there. A wise counselor is willing to wound you. Willing to wound you. Proverbs 27.6 says wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. While they're meant to provide affirmation and encouragement, at some point in your life, church, a friend is going to have to speak to you in truth that is going to hurt. Number four, a wise counselor encourages a team. Proverbs 15, 22, it says, plans go wrong for lack of advice, many advisors bring success. A wise counselor knows their limits. They knows there's only so much they can offer. And they know that other advisors alongside them are good for us. Number five, a wise counselor's words are life-giving. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 12.18 says the words of the wise bring healing. And Proverbs 10.21 says the words of the wise encourage many. Life giving words are not always happy, joyful statements. Are you guys following me there? They're not always happy, joyful statements, but words of rebuke can be life giving if it steers us where we need to go. Number six, a wise counselor does his or her homework. Proverbs 6 6 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. The people you trust for advice should always be a lifelong student and dedicated learner. Someone who longs to know more. Number seven, lastly. A wise counselor knows the limits of human wisdom. Proverbs 20, 24 says the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? Some things in life cannot be comforted by other people. There are times where the wisest advisor might just be able to sit there to offer support by silence. Let the Lord do the work and the Lord minister. As we move on, we're talking about three important decisions when facing an enemy. And we just talked about be careful who you listen to. And now, this is key, obedience over our desires. Obedience over our desires. Because, church, i got to tell you, when it's about being obedient to the Lord, obedience is not always convenient, and I'm sure there's nothing more David wanted to do than to end the charade, end all the running from place to place. And reasoning says the only way he could do that was by taking Saul's life. David, being a great warrior, had taken many lives, from giants to many battles over his years. <coughs> and the issue was David was ded- had, He had dedicated himself into service of the king of Israel. And now the king of Israel, the one who's trying to kill him, is standing before him. And so David has this conflict inside. Because emotions and natural desires say, yeah, I should take him out. But he knew that he had rendered himself in service to the king. And when you enter that service, it is a manner of honor and dedication that never ends, it never expires. It always remains unto death. And so David has that conflict. And being a man of integrity, he could never take the responsibility of going against his own oath. So it became about keeping his promise and reflecting on who God is. So for David to kill Saul, it would have been rooted in disobedience. And just because you in your life, you might... You might be justified in something you do. It doesn't make you right when you're a follower of Christ. Just because you can justify something doesn't make you right. And any reasonable person could say that David had a right to kill Saul because Saul was coming after him. When we were in Waterloo, we had a really bad situation occur that I won't get into today because it would take way too long. But long story short, we had to dismiss a board member, and the whole board was meeting to dismiss the one board member, and this this one board member was not in his right mind. And all the board members were concerned because he carried a gun, and he was a little out of hand. They were worried about how it would go. And so they're asking each other, hey, are you going to carry a gun to the meeting? Are you going to carry a gun? And I remember they got to me, and uh, I said, "No, it stays at home." They said, "Why?" I said, "Because this is not about what he does. It's about what I choose to do. It's about the decision that I choose to make." In church, we could we could justify an action. He pulled on me first. And in most cases, we can say it's rightfully governed where we live. But just because we do that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do in that moment. And that is the exact conflict that David is in. Because we as people should have the goal in mind to always remain obedient to Christ's word and exemplify Christ, amen? That should always be the goal. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 44. I want you to listen. I'm losing my voice. This is awesome. Yay! You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. Listen to that again. I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Christ is telling, this is what he's telling you. He's not telling you, okay, you know, so if some guy asks for you to go a mile with him, go with him too. He's saying, I don't want you to bend to your natural desires. And so, by not bending to your natural desires, you are going to show the world who I am by your obedience to me. And some of you, you're hearing this and you say, that that that, that seems Absolutely impossible. Like everything inside me says, nope, can't do that. Can't give in. But I'm telling you, when you respond in that manner, the favor of the Lord is going to be upon you. Because giving into those natural desires, that is the easy thing to do, and it's only going to bring temporary satisfaction. But having spiritual discipline will affect eternity. Are you hearing me, church? Having spiritual discipline affects eternity, and I want to live where I am not just satisfied for a moment, but I am satisfied for eternity, church. Amen? Amen? Because I want to talk to you about what true obedience looks like. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Let me say that again, because we just read words from Christ that seem a little offensive. Paul says "But you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, obedience follows not only God's statutes, but it longs to bring God glory. And often that means doing something that we don't naturally want to do. So it might be inconvenient for you or troublesome. But if that's who Christ was, and I have dedicated my life to Him, I must be that also and now we know why david was a man after god's own heart one of the ways this shows up in my life life even though it can be inconvenient or troublesome is giving my word to someone if i give my word to someone no matter how much it hurts me or pains me down the road if i committed to it i'm going to do it i'm going to see it through And the reason is because I serve a God who is faithful to His Word, so I, in turn, must be faithful to my own. Not that I want everyone to have a good opinion of me, but see Christ in me. Now, I'm going to be honest. I haven't always done this with success. I I have failed, but my focus is to be like Christ, and that means being faithful unto death. Because at the end of the day, what God thinks of me and how God sees me is more important than how man sees me. Now, David, he risked losing the trust of his men by not taking Saul's life. Having a heart out after God does not worry about winning the hearts of the people. That's God's work. I'm going to say that again because it's good. Having a heart out after God does not worry about the hearts of the people. It's about doing God's work. John 8, 29, Jesus says, And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. It's not about pleasing ourselves anymore, church. Amen? It's not about giving over to those desires. It's about being obedient to what he's asked us to do. We're moving on number three. Killing this message today. Just rifling right through it. Because there are people in your life that need to receive undeserved compassion. They need your compassion. Whether or not they deserve it. Saul was not deserving of David's mercy. Have you ever chose grace or compassion when someone didn't deserve it? Maybe they betrayed you and and you gave them a pass even though you know they're going to do it again. If you read through, if, if you go ahead and read ahead in 1 Samuel 26, you're going to see that even though David spared his life today as we read, Saul is going to come after him again. It's like the same old song and dance all over again. And here we go again where David has an opportunity to take Saul's life and then he spares him all over again. Clearly Saul doesn't learn. But David had the right heart. He was committed to an oath. And he genuinely cared for Saul in spite of who Saul had become. So church, just because you give someone undeserved compassion or grace, you don't do it out of obligation. You don't do it because you say, well, Jesus said I had to, so I guess I'm going to do it. That's not what we're talking about here. It's doing it because you have genuine, genuine concern for their very soul. And you're concerned for their soul. And that's why you're doing it. Because ultimately you know that you don't deserve heaven nearly, nearly as much as anyone else does. And, and you, your destiny is going to be the same as that person's if it was not for Christ. I want the world to know that. I don't deserve heaven, but Christ. They don't deserve heaven, but Christ. He died for them too. And if the Spirit of God is alive and well in you, that character should be showing up in your life. That kind of compassion. Galatians 5, through 23 This is, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against such things, against these things. Those are the things that should be appearing in your life. So having those fruits of the Spirit, it will never steer you in the wrong direction. It will never betray you. And so that is what we need to be bringing to an undeserving people. And church, the very moment we react in the flesh... We haven't showed people the ways of God but the ways of man. So to be of self-control, that's a big one. That's a big one. And church, I'm not asking, catch this, because I think this is so important. I'm not asking you to be a doormat. I'm asking you to have a deeper purpose than getting even. Okay? Because you and I, and I already kind of briefly touched on this, We don't deserve God's mercy. None of us do. In Genesis 32, Jacob, he's a grown man and he has lived a life hidden from his brother Esau. For those of you that don't know the story, Jacob betrayed his brother Esau. He took his birthright. He took the inheritance while tricking his father who was blind and on his deathbed believing that he was his brother. So these two men, they spend decades apart, and Jacob realized that their lives were on a collision course to meet. And he was going to be meeting up with his brother, who happened to have an army with him. And here's the thing. Jacob, he knew he was wrong. He deserved death. So, so this is a prayer that Jacob cried out to God before he met up with his brother. Listen to this. Genesis 32, 9-10. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. And now we sit here today, and God pours out His grace and mercy upon us. <laughs> and, and, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is our redemption. Lastly, I want to read for you Romans 5, 7-11. It says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showered his great or showed, excuse me, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord, Jesus Christ, has made us friends of God. We show compassion to others because of the compassion the Lord has showed us. Not the compassion they have shown us or lack thereof, but because of what the Lord has shown us as individuals. You see, Jesus, he didn't deserve to die for us. At the heart of everything, church, catch this, I am a vile person. If you were to examine the scope of your entire life, you would come to the conclusion, much like Paul, you are the chief of sinners, and you might be saying, I am totally undeserving of the grace God has shown me through his son, Jesus Christ. But God chooses to show his love for us anyways. Church, you don't show others compassion for your own sake. You show compassion for Christ's sake because you are not your own anymore. If you came here to this altar this morning, you are standing here saying, I am not my own anymore. I am here for the cause of Christ. And so it's not about our emotions anymore. We have to kick that to the side because the world is at stake. Amen? The world is at stake and they need to show our compassion. They might be after you. They might want to kill you. But you, much like the Apostle Stephen, might have to look to God and say, God, forgive them of what they're doing right now. That's what the world needs. You're not a doormat if you make that choice and you know what it stands for. Church, I'm not going to be a doormat, amen? I'm encouraging you to choose not to be a doormat, but to be someone who shows the love of Christ no matter what, no no matter how much it might hurt. You might have your heart wearing right on your sleeve, and you know that that exposes it, and it opens the door for it being cut. And yet again, you're you're preparing yourself to be hurt all over again. And it might hurt, but understand, by the steps that we take, people have the opportunity to see Christ. Let's let them see Christ in us. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, I want to thank you for sending your son to an undeserving person like myself. God, we we sit here today because of your grace and mercy. And it is only by that that we have the right to approach you. But Lord, we approach you because we know of what your son has accomplished. And God, we are facing difficulties moving forward. Difficulties in facing people who might be our enemies, God. And Lord, we have been doing this wrestling match with flesh and spirit. And God, we are sitting here today saying, Lord, we recognize the, the struggle, but God, we choose obedience to you. Now, if you are sitting here today and you say, Pastor, I am, I am choosing to surrender this portion of my life over to God. I am going to be compassionate for others no matter what it takes. And, and maybe this is a form of repentance for you because of how you've treated enemies in the past. Just stand up with me as we continue to pray. God, you see those who are committed to standing and God, I pray that by their actions and by their testimony that many will come to know you, the true God of the universe. And Lord, what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ, may we not be glorified by the actions or steps that we take, but Lord, by each and every step, your son will be glorified through our lives. We thank you and praise you, and God, I pray for the hurt on those who are standing right now to just fall. Lord, that they not be so engulfed in the struggle anymore, but they recognize who they are in you, the purpose you have called them to, and God, accept what that means in reaching out to others. Lord, give them peace in that decision too. I thank you, Father, and I praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.